My name is Kevin Hines. I jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. I believed that I had to die, but I lived. Today, I travel the world with my lovely wife, Margaret, sharing stories of people who have triumphed over incredible adversity. Now, we help people be here tomorrow. Welcome to the Hindsights Podcast. What is cracking, Hope Nation? It is your friendly neighborhood, Kevin Hines, and I'm here with another Hindsights Podcast episode. I am really excited about this episode because I am joined by one of my great friends, Gian Power, an amazing individual, a phenomenal mental brain mind health advocate, and uh, just a, a bit of a genius himself. Uh, Gian Power uh, started TLC Lions in order to humanize the workplace for mental well-being. Gian, how are you today? Uh, and uh, it is great to see you. Welcome to the Hindsight's Podcast. Thank you so much. And you're very kind. And I'm good. I'm good. Having a good day. I'm better for seeing you. Oh, right that, makes me, that makes yeah. me smile even more. All yeah. right. Well, uh, yeah, let's, let's, start, let's start at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing, your life's journey before one of the most pivotal moments in your life occurred that changed you forever. So right up until that point. Yeah, of course. I mean, so I was born in the UK. Um, My dad, who's of Indian descent, although he was born in the UK as well, but Indian heritage, my mum, who's white British from the North of England and really nice childhood. My mum and dad have both come, come from, I suppose, modest backgrounds. You could say worked very hard to give me a nice upbringing Um, I have my sister who's three years older than me. Um, Life was good at the age of 10, 11, bit of a curveball when my parents divorced and overnight I moved. I won't go into UK geography here, but I moved quite a few hours away from where I was born. And yeah, and then since then, like my parents did split up and it was very interesting then living two very different lives, my mum and dad. Then at the age of 18, well, I suppose actually at 13, I set up my first business. I've always loved entrepreneurship and things like that. So I ran that for two years. Not going to get all boring on the technicalities. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Stop there. At 13, you started your first business? Yeah, it was called Zest Productions. It was like DVD manufacturing, which now I know it's a huge thing. People were like, yeah, DVDs, like they probably passed them now. But back then it was it was a niche. You know, um, yes, yeah, so there was basically like a, a gap in the market that I identified. Um, yes, yeah, so I started doing that and then did my first company accounts. Um, and then at 15, a few things happened, like the business was dying out anyway. And mum and dad were keen for me to go off to university, college. Um, so I listened to them, like being a good son. And, and I went off to study international business with German and there is a reason it's, you know, I grew up in an Indian kind of household where it was bilingual, but I didn't speak Punjabi. So I was determined to be bilingual. So I thought German was good for business. So that's what I did. Spent a year in Germany at Deutsche Bank, um, graduated, super happy time. And, you know, growing up, I spent a lot of time traveling with my dad, especially, which I was really fortunate to do. You know, we'd go all over the world together, uh, like best friends. And then, yeah, and then I joined PwC, um, like many Indians do. It's kind of doctor, lawyer, and accountant. You kind of <laughs> seem to like, I, <laughs> we joke about it, but I'm like, it's so true. Um, 
So yeah, and I joined there in like what is financial restructuring because I always thought it'd be so cool to understand why do companies fail and stuff like that. So yeah, I joined there and I suppose growing up, I was always very like ambitious. I've always wanted to go the extra mile, whatever I do, I do it well. And yeah, was very fortunate to travel a lot with my dad, especially and, you know, mum and dad, super, super loving and, you know, have been throughout my upbringing. Uh, you know, a, a good journey, an incredible one, a blessed one. And, and then something happened in May of 2015 that altered you and your family's path forever, eternally. Can you tell us about that if you're comfortable uh, and, and share with share with the audience what happened? Yeah, so you go to kind of May, let's go to the 6th of May in 2015. And at this point, life is great. Mom, dad, sister, my girlfriend, all in the UK. And, you know, I was just starting out my career in finance in London. And then on the 7th of May in 2015, I get a call from my dad who just says, hey, son, I've got to go overseas for business tonight. And I was kind of like, okay, that's a little bit last minute, but, you know, give me a call from the airport. And we spoke that evening and and off he flew. Now, a few days passed, Kevin, and I didn't hear from my dad, time difference and travel. I thought, didn't think anything of it. And kind of about four days later, I realized nobody heard from my dad. And I was like, something is not right here. And I kind of just hoped, prayed that he would get the return flight back to England that was planned. I didn't know where he was, what was going on. And then the airline called me and they said, look, uh, the flight's gone and your, your dad's not checked in. And I know my dad and I knew my dad. And I was like, my dad is in trouble. I don't know what's gone on. He's a very mentally and physically strong guy. And so that day I ran out of the office and I declared my dad missing. Now, between me and my sister and I was 23 then, it was it's pretty challenging. You know, I was just this kind of kid, a graduate in the city. And so for three weeks, I campaigned on the media to try and find my dad. And we were putting up rewards for money we didn't have. Oh. Just it, it was just it was crazy. Now, the 30th of May, I got a phone call and a phone call that just said, are you the children of Ranjit Singh Power? And we were like, yeah. And they just said, um, yeah, make sure you're together. They said, your dad's been murdered and we've we found a body. And like, I, I'll never forget that morning and I, and I still don't. And, you know, although I, I feel emotion today in my work, then it was like, I had to get justice my dad, you know, and what later happened, and I think for context, it's important, somebody confessed to murdering my dad. And so I had to send divers into a lake in India. And they, sadly, they pulled out a lot of bodies and and somebody had identified one as my dad anyway months go on Kevin and I just wanted the body back to the UK to have a formal funeral you know for my dad and I remember this took months you know to repatriate around the world it's not easy and in the weeks leading up to that funeral I said to the police like can I just have some time to grieve you know, I will pick up this investigation, but I need some time. And at this point, I'd gone back to work. And, and I remember the police calling me, they were like, we need to come and see you now. And I said, please just give me space. And they said, they came to see me. And they just said, we're sorry, but the the plane landed in Heathrow with the body. And it's gone to the coroner. And it's not your dad. 
Oh, and so, yeah, and the media continued and we never found my dad's body. Yeah. You never got any kind of closure. You never learned what happened. I, I, I know, and I'm very open on podcasts and stuff. I, I know who killed my dad. I know how they killed him. I'll never know why, mm. but I know all of the details. And there are loopholes in the law that's allowed them to get away with the murder. Oh, you're, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah, yeah. There's, and it's actually the first time I'm speaking out about this because it's been seven years this year, 2022, um, since my dad was missing. And in the UK, in many countries, you're you're considered dead after seven years. And so, yeah, it was quite a moment, really. Um, but yeah, it's yes, yeah, it's, it's quite challenging. But they they're getting a, they got away with it because there's a loophole in the law. I think it's important to know this because this can actually save people's lives if they're listening. Basically, there's a, a part of the European law that says that you can never be sent to a place to serve a sentence where the death penalty exists. There's certain states in the United States, places in the world. What that means, Kevin, is that I could take you on holiday tomorrow to a place in the world where the death penalty exists, capital punishment. I could kill you. I can come back to the UK or Europe and I'm protected. I can never be extradited there to face a trial because the human rights um, convention in Europe protects me. And so this is basically how to get away with murder. Mm. That is mind-blowing, disgusting, and horrible for folks that are like you and your family that go through something like this and can never never close the door on, 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 on the situation and, 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 and see justice be held. I'm so sorry. Wow. No. What an incredibly harrowing story. I know. And I think, you know, Kevin, over the years now, I've met families from Italy who had loved ones murdered in Venezuela. I've had, you know, loved ones murdered in America, in Africa, you know, and like you, people reach out and share their stories. And there's such an injustice. But I've had to learn that grief is very personal, you know, and I've had to deal with my own way of closure to move on. It's the only way. How, 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 let's be. Let's tell the audience how have you done that? What what do you what do you do every day to get get through the pain? I think I well actually a good therapist of mine said to me, you know, a key part of my challenge is around the closure. You know, you've never had a funeral. There's never been a formal goodbye, and that's part of the goodbye. And so I actually took myself to Barcelona one weekend by myself. I went up into the beautiful mountains, and I kind of took time to say goodbye to my dad and that's the first thing I did and then I I guess as I often say to people I don't think you move on from things I move on with them and I you know I still say his name I keep him alive in my memories of what I do today um but I've had to come to terms with the emotions for those who killed him and move from anger to acceptance towards almost forgiveness wow Mm. wow unbelievable you know i always say 
as it relates to suicide, which we, we know a lot about, we talk about suicide prevention a lot in the work we do. Um, and thank you, Guillaume, for sharing that very powerful part of your message with this platform. I really appreciate it. The first time you're talking about it like that in that way. Um, we, I say to people, you know, we can never move on from a suicide. We, we have to stop trying to move on. We have to stop asking the question why it happened. That's an unanswerable question. We have to start asking the question, how do we look to the living and move forward? And those are two very different things, moving on and moving forward. And I think that applies here with your situation. Um, you know, can, can can you share with our Hindsight's audience the range of emotions you were experiencing that you've discussed in previous interviews, the, the, the sadness to anger, then the confusion, the panic and beyond? Yeah, no, of course. I think that, and this was to rewind, I remember it was 2016 at this point, and I was in so many legal battles. You know, I had those who were behind the murder of my dad trying to sue me for defamation of their character. As a 23-year-old like kid going through this, it was, it was unbelievable. But I knew that this is only going to teach me a lesson. There's going to be some learnings in this. This is going to make me mature. This is going to make me all of this. And so I remember going out of the office one day when things hit you and I thought, do you know what? And we say this a lot today, which is great, but we didn't then. And that was, I cannot control this situation as much as I want to. I can only control how I respond to it. And nobody can take that away. And so if I tune into the emotion that I'm feeling and I can navigate it, now obviously we know that as kind of emotional regulation and granularity and all these fancy words. But back then I used to just say like, okay, Gian, what are you feeling right now? Okay, it's anger. Then I go to the gym and I'd let it out. Or I'd like, I'm feeling sad. So I'd go for a walk and put on my happy playlist. Or I just want to be, I'm feeling neutral. I'm feeling a bit meh. And I'm like, it's okay. As a therapist said, we're a human being, not a human doing. So I would just be, and I'm like, I'm just going to feel what I'm feeling. And so one thing that I did do, and some people might disagree with this, I had to, Kevin, I had to compartmentalize things. I could not keep going at PwC. I did all my kind of, as they're known as CPA exams, for my accounting, and I'd never stopped them. Dealing with the media, dealing with the murder, and looking after my mum and my sister. And so I had to keep being like, what am I feeling now? Put that in a box. To the point that even sometimes today, I would imagine this is really kind of deep and people are going to think what is he saying but if I feel really angry I almost open the box in my mind put all the things that are making me angry close the box close my eyes and put it in like a little river and just let it flow and I just let that emotion go you can actually and, visualize that mm, it's like I've had to and I think meditation has helped me yeah. so much so yeah now I'm a big fan of like tracking the emotion of like, oh, what is that? And I think getting real curious of, oh, is that is that sadness? And actually, I think it's boredom or, or, or actually that's loneliness. You know, what is that? And now knowing when it crops up, I can kind of get a bit more in tune with what it is and act on it. You're, you're kind of like Tony Stark in the movie where he's picking out the pieces to the puzzle of the, <laughs> of the AI. And you're just putting them in the place you need to put them in your brain so you can focus and move forward. That's, that's it's an incredible way to describe it. I, I love hearing that. Um, yeah. 
Okay. On, on that note, since we're kind of getting into it, is that when you kind of took the concept of your self-care very seriously? Um, and, you know, for those listening, watching, subscribing, why I'm asking you, Gian, why is self-care so important for, for literally everybody? I think I realized back in 2015 that there was a lot about to go on. I was, and I remember this moment being outside the office and I said to myself, okay, I like to succeed in everything and I need to be successful in dad's case. I need to make sure the living are okay. My mum, my sister, and I need to make sure I'm safe and I need to do my exams and think about my career. Now, I remember being like, <laughs> I literally remember this, Kevin. I was like, wow, I feel like a pressure on me. And I went home one night, still picture it, and I Googled stress. I was like, what is stress? I don't know what it is. And it and I looked at it. I was like, oh, maybe I'm stressed. So I thought, hang on, I'm very practical, you know, which is a blessing and a curse. And I thought I must do everything that allows me to look after my mind. Because then if I look after my mind, I look after me. And if I look after me, I can look after others. So I, I just did. Honestly, I started implementing things. And I don't want to sound like I had a pure planks. I didn't, but I was like, I know that working out is good. I know alcohol is bad. So no drinking, but working out most days. I'd heard of meditation, you know, good, you know, having late nights and neglecting my sleep, bad. So I kind of just did all the good stuff and did what could stick. And, and I think one of the best things for me was also laughter, oh. you know, being on my friends and laughing. Um, and so to answer your question, I was like, care for me now it looks a certain way you know and I say it's personal for everybody because how we all look after ourselves I think it's very different and also from a ethnicity standpoint I think it's also very different yeah you know it's very hard you know my Indian culture taught to serve others it's almost feels wrong to be selfish but you've got to be you've got to put yourself first so yeah, it's been a, it's long, uh, it's a long path, but now I, I, I know because people will say, Kian, you go at hundred miles an hour every day. And I'm like, yeah, I do. But I also look after myself in the same pace and fashion. Yeah. Beautiful. You talk a lot about shed for those who don't know what shed means, break it down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so shed is before we go into that, I always say, you know, we all have those days, right, where you wake up and like, ah, just I'm just not feeling it today, and I don't know why. And I realized that it came down to, generally speaking, you know, one of these four key components was critical. And the shed is, you know, the S is for sleep. You know, have I got enough sleep last night? Quality sleep. I'm a big fan of looking into my sleep. The H is for hydration. You know, I'm here. People can't see me with my water always because that's when I make my best decisions and feel at my best. There we go. Kevin having a drink. The E is for exercise, you know, working out. And I always say nobody has ever said I regretted a walk. I've never heard those words in my life. So go for a walk, get fresh air, like go just move. And the D is for diet. I now say brackets nutrition because I did a session with Germany and everyone was like, should we go on a diet? And I was like, no, no, no. Like, I'm saying watch what you eat and remembering to eat. And so now every morning, Kevin, I'm a big fan of I get my good quality sleep. I wake up and down half a liter of water. I then go and work out and then have a nutritious breakfast. And if I see that my shed is on top form, then I've done all that I can to put myself in a really good way to start my day. Beautiful. Beautiful. 
And, and we talked, you, you briefly touched upon it, but let's really get into it. Uh, meditation has become a big part of your life. Uh, can you tell us why it's helped you and why it can help others? Yeah, I mean, there's a story behind this in the world of stories is that it was about May 2016 and I was back in the office working quite late hours and it was a, a manager actually of mine, Isabel, great friend today. And she came over and she was like, Yan, you are going to burn out. She was just like, I don't know how you're handling all this, like exams, the murder, everything. And she said to me, do me a favor. She gave me her phone. She says, go into the toilet. Sounds a bit odd. So go to the restrooms, close the cubicle door, just sit and listen to this. And I was like, okay, my manager, whatever you say, boss. So I kind of went in. It's a bit weird. And I listened to it. And honestly, in a situation that was really difficult and overwhelming, there's just, you know, in your mind, my mind was just so busy. And I came out and I was like, wow. And that was a meditation. And I vowed from that day on, I'm going to try and make this part of my daily routine. And some days I'm good at it, some days I'm not. And so for something that I used to think was all fluffy, that for me has been the most critical component. And then I actually, I went on to launch a company to get London meditating and we took it to thousands around the world, which is amazing. And so if anybody's thinking, how do I get into meditation? I always say, you know, one conscious breath is a form of meditation. So let's start small. You don't have to go on a retreat tomorrow. Just being in tune and now in an afternoon if I'm like feeling a bit now I've got to make a big decision I don't just grab a coffee I go and literally will lie down for 10 minutes and focus on my breath and then come back and make the decision and so even in the words of Gandhi you know he always said if my day-to-day is twice as busy I'll meditate for twice as long meditation doesn't take time it gives you time back and gives you clarity You know, that's interesting. I always say time is the only commodity we actually truly have. It just depends on who we're giving it to and if we're taking enough time for ourselves. So that that makes perfect sense. Beautifully said. Um, okay, so let's get back into the work aspect of things. You you were with PWC for a number of years and then you decide to leave to launch TLC Lions. Lion being the, yours and your and your father's middle name. You were on a mission to ignite the emotion and empathy back in the corporate world. Can you tell us about TLC Lions and how it came about and what it is? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, 2015 to 2017 now, because I'm taking everybody on a timeline, is that a few things started happening and that a lot of people at work were sharing their stories with me and they were always sharing them in private. Now, when they did that, I realized that it built a real connection. You know, I got to know them on a deeper, more human level, and then I'd work with them and we'd work together far more effectively and have an amazing culture where if they needed me to do something, I'd work harder because they shared with me, I shared with them. And I just saw there that, you know, storytelling doesn't make us less professional. It makes us more human. And how can we take this message to the corporate world, which whether we look at London, New York, Tokyo, Paris, there is a pace. And, you know, I wanted leaders to realize that being an effective leader and being a compassionate leader are not mutually exclusive. They're a partnership and we've got to wake up for tomorrow's world to be more human. And so, yeah, I launched TLC Lions, as you mentioned, where the name comes from. And so today we brought together over 50 of the world's most powerful storytellers, yourself obviously being one and one of the most amazing who I've met along the journey. And, 
yeah, I feel very humble to meet these people. And we work with organizations around the world to really understand, because each company is so different, right? Of what is, how are you intentional about your culture? What are your challenges? Is that around how do we spark the conversation around mental health? How do we talk about suicide prevention? Or is it around gender and racial equity? And then our lions go and spark the conversation. And then now what I love to do is also create internal lions. So train employees on their own stories in opening their eyes up. And, and yeah, I just believe in a, in a workplace that's very human. Wow. Um, and, and, uh, and how many companies does TLC Lions uh, work across today? Yeah, there's just over 300 wow. we've worked with um, at the moment, which I just love that. And, you know, people that you meet, you know, this in your work, it's those stories that stay with you and the individuals, they never leave me. Beautiful. Well, you know, because when you tell your story, when your lions tell their stories, people then get up and tell them theirs. Uh, it's just like you said, when you told your story at PwC, all the folks there that told you theirs, that really kind of sparked this this fire in you to create TLC lines in the first place, which is just phenomenal. Um, what, is, what does it mean to drive culture change in the workplace for the betterment of, of em, employees or workplace mental health? Well, I think the main thing is that I think there's five generations in the workplace now and the old way of, you know, loads of command and control and the way leaders were told to behave, it's changed. And people want leaders who are human, people who are understanding. That doesn't mean that you're going to do a lesser job. If anything, you're going to do a better job. And so what we try to do is understand a company's culture. Who are they? Where are they right now? Where do they want to get to? What do they aspire to be and how are they going to be intentional about that? It's a bit of a gap analysis, you could say. Then how do we help them get there? And so, as you know, through the kind of the science and the evidence base behind storytelling, when we can awaken that emotion in employees, we can really drive them to behave differently. Mm. So rather than, you know, we just display facts, you know, here's a presentation, let's all read these facts. If we tell a compelling story, if that's around mental health, suicide prevention, by them listening to your story, and they they hear, they start to feel how Kevin felt. They they feel what you felt in the moment, what could have gone differently. That's how, as we know, the chemicals being released in the brain, it makes employees want to step in and understand and help. And so the reason we use storytelling is because we know it's scientifically proven to make people actually behave differently, to think, oh my goodness, is there somebody in my organization who might be feeling how Kevin felt? Can I step in and can we change their life? Wow. And, and just to your point, you know, which, was, which is why this makes so much sense, I think, it, stories are 22 times more memorable than statistics or facts. And so you can you can rattle off all the statistics in the world they're not going to stick in someone's mind unless you're repeating them like 12 times each. But if you tell a story that's meaningful, powerful, moving, educational, and it has some forward uh, momentum, uh, you, can, you, can, you can turn on a light bulb in someone's brain for them to go home, do the work, and change their own life. So people are going to watch even this podcast, or they're going to listen to this podcast uh, on Spotify and, and they're going to, or Apple podcasts, and they're going to, they're going to hear this story of your, your personal story, and they're going to go and they're going to make shed a part of their life. 
you know, that that's that's where storytelling is so incredible. You share a moment where it changes your life and then people will go, hey, I could do that too. Absolutely. And, and I, I say that through all of the lions who I've been so fortunate to have listened to, you know, they've all taught me so much, you know, hearing your story, listening to your story about being here tomorrow. It's those moments. And it's, it's, it's close to my heart. You know, it is when I was at PwC, I lost a colleague who was 23 to suicide. You know, he died by suicide from our head office in London. And that was my first day back, Kevin, my first day back after, well, after my dad. And I was actually just with a good friend before this who I met at PwC and we were just talking about it. And I still remember the day and I will never forget that. And that's why I vowed now to companies all around the world to get mental health on the agenda for your graduates and interns from day one. Let's not wait till they become managers or later in the development program. They're coming out of college. The transition from education into the workplace is difficult. Make sure we help them from day one because everybody's got a story. Everybody's facing life. And I don't want anyone to feel like that young man did when we joined. Wow. Mm. Doing great work, my friend. Um, what, what, what would you say is your, your best advice to companies looking to take care of their employees, mental health, equity, and inclusion? My first advice is to listen to them, like genuinely and actively consciously listen, because we're talking now about Gen Z being vocal and speaking up and speaking out. Well, let's take that as a beautiful opportunity to tune in and do some employee listening of what are the needs of them? Because let's face it, they are the leaders of tomorrow. And whether you as a leader disagree or agree with their approach right now, let's understand where they see the workplace in 2030, 2040. And then let's make sure you've got the benefits that are aligned to them. Make sure you're communicating those benefits to them. Because otherwise, we don't listen to employees. We go and get benefits that nobody knows about. They're not aligned with the employees because they didn't have a say in them, and then we never communicate them. So listen to employees, go get benefits aligned for your culture, and then communicate them with impact. And not just listen, but listen to understand, not to respond. Listen to listen to gather enough information, to empathize with them, and then help them find hope in whatever they're going through. Um, how, how crucial would you say it is when a company not just one that you work with, but let's say companies that you, you haven't worked with yet, go the extra mile in helping employees find the positives in their own darkness and then support those employees in arranging connections to things like counselors, therapists, and other forms of critical care. I mean, it's so important that it can save lives, yeah. right? And I feel that I refer back to my colleague I just mentioned, who knows if we'd have done that, Kevin, we could be living in a very different situation right now. And as you know, the number of suicides that we're facing around the world right now, and as I say, many people are employees. And as workplaces, we've got, we've got a huge responsibility, but also opportunity to positively impact them in their day-to-day -day lives and then in society. And so I just think it's so critical. And that's why I'm focused on us just being more human. And Get to know people on a human level. I give it a little example of if anybody's listening, what everybody can do is back in 2016, another leader said to me, look, Jan, I think you should call the employee assistance program. I was like, I don't know what that is. 
And she explained to me, obviously, that is a number that's confidential that you can call and get therapy and advice. But she went a step further and she was like, and here's the number. Because in those moments, you don't want to be on the internet. You want a colleague to help you and say, here it is. She went a step further. She then said, look, go around the corner, call them, and I'm going to be right here to talk to you after you've made that call to see how you feel. And anybody who's been there knows that in those situations, it can be very difficult to pick up the phone. And so just to know that somebody kind of put it in their phone and then had my back to say, I'm also here. That for me is understanding and listening to your employees on a human level, telling them the benefits on offer and going above and beyond as an employee, more as just a human citizen. Mm. Well, kudos to that person for doing that because if we can find five employees in every company to be that person on a regular basis, you could save or change a lot more lives. That's that's for sure. Okay, Guillaume, we're wrapping this up. You've been an amazing guest on the Hindsight's podcast. I want to ask you my final rapid fire questions. These ones are mostly uh, for fun and, 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 and hopeful moments. Um, here's the deal. Uh, try to answer them in one to three word answers if you can, okay? Okay, okay. I'm, I'm putting you on the spot, okay? All right. Yeah. My final rapid fire questions, Guillaume. Here we go. Number one, what? makes you happy time with family time with family perfect three words okay what or who is the best person or thing in your life my mom oh i love that what is your purpose to make the world a happy place okay i'll let you go over three words it's okay all right that that, that made that, that uh, made to make the world a happy place couldn't have said it better what do you love most my family beautiful what is your favorite food? My mom's spaghetti bolognese. <laughs> <laughs> Gluten-free, I hope. I'm kidding. <laughs> okay, this last one, you can totally use more than three words for this last one because this one's an important one for all of our audiences to hear, especially the audience of the Hindsight Podcast that is struggling with suicidal ideation, okay? And we have a lot of the folks that come to us that are. Why? Is this life worth living? I mean, I, I just think life is such a, a precious, beautiful gift that we've got right now. There is so much happiness and hope out there. You know, where we are right now, not to get really deep with someone, but what I try to do, why I think life is worth living, I often zoom out on myself. I visualize this and I look at me in my little town and the town in the little city and the city on this planet and then this planet. And then I look at me and I say, well, look how, look at just me there in this whole part of this beautiful earth. And there's so much more to explore. You will get through this, whatever you're going through. And you're going to discover so much more of this earth. It's a beautiful place. People love you. People are there for you. No, things will get better minute by minute, day by day. And there's a brighter tomorrow. There really is. There's a brighter tomorrow. Be here tomorrow. Every day after that, you are beautiful. You are loved. You are worthy. You matter. You matter to us. And if nobody else said it today, we love you. Hindsight's listeners, and we want you to stay. Thank you from the bottom of my heart, Gian, for coming on the podcast. It means the world to me. I love you, buddy. I hope you have a great day. And uh, take care, be well, and be here tomorrow. Margaret and I love sharing stories of people who have triumphed over incredible adversity. 
For more content and inspiration, go to KevinHindsStory.com or visit us on all social medias at Kevin Hines Story or on YouTube.com slash Kevin Hines. Hmm.